This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Very Old Spice. Very Old Spice. Improve your old man smells. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1921's The Phantom Carriage and 2009's Lifeblood. But before we get into that, I'm going to introduce a new segment into the show. We have a game that we got a while back, and we've played a few times now. It's a trivia game called Slash Cards, and it is all trivia about horror movies. And so that was perfectly right up our alley. And we just played it the other day, New Year's Eve, actually. And so... We figured it'd be a nice addition to the show if we got some more random trivia into it. So I'm not going to actually ask real questions this time around. We'll do that in the future. This time in our game, there were four questions that struck me as interesting, either to us personally or to the show. So I figure we can talk about them here, the, the questions that we encountered. So I'll do two now and i'll do two before we start our next one so let's see what we have this one is a little bit of an embarrassment for me it was a question that kelsey asked me and like an idiot i had no idea and it didn't even occur to me which really makes me feel like a moron the question is salem's lot takes place in what u.s state Now, when I asked this question, I was thinking to myself, okay, before he answers, I'm going to say, you only have two choices, really. And then he went ahead and said some random ass state. Yeah, well, because I knew that Salem's Lot stood for Jerusalem's Lot. And I was, like, trying to think of states that might have a city named Jerusalem, and I have no idea. And I was like, I don't know, Texas or something? I don't remember what you said. I think I said Texas. The answer, of course is Maine, because Stephen King is a hack who sets all of his movies and books in Maine. Right, I was gonna say, okay, if you said Colorado, I'd give it to you. Right, that's like the one story that's not set in Maine. (laughs) Yeah, it's Maine or Colorado usually. Some take place in other states, like the stand ends in Nevada, basically. Right, but doesn't some of the stand take place in Maine too? Yeah, that's where where the Maine girl is from. See, ah, And whatever the... Dude's name is. I forget his name. We just watched the whole series again recently, too, and we didn't care enough to remember the characters' names. All right, next up is... This one's important to the show. You, the listener, probably don't remember this, but at least twice so far, I've mentioned a movie. First thing that comes to my mind when we talk about invasion movies, like home invasion movies. (laughs) And it's always the first one I think of. And I've mentioned it at least twice on this show. And I've mentioned it too. Yes. And Kelsey asked me, Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman (laughs) starred in what 2008 home invasion film? And he couldn't think of it. And I couldn't think of it. Okay, this is like, this is the thing about my brain. I remember very, very weird shit. I am 
really bad with names. Like, desperately bad with names. I, I could know you my entire life. And when I see you, I will panic because I can't remember your name. <laughs> it's just this thing that my brain does. I remember weird shit that happened to me when I was three. But I won't remember the name of one of my aunts. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that kind of thing. So, I couldn't remember that the name of this movie was... The Strangers. Yes. And I felt really, really pathetic. <laughs> I think one of these questions in here was for you. So, I, I guess these first two are just me feeling like a jackass. Anyway, that is Slash Cards. If you like horror movies enough, at least, to listen to this podcast, I would highly recommend that you get it. I'm sure it's online somewhere. It was a... What are those called? When you have to ask people for money to make a Kickstarter. Kickstarter? It was a Kickstarter game. Yeah. Uh, I have a few of those Kickstarter games that we end up really liking. And you can't really find in most places. You have to go to like a, a board game store specifically to get them. Like we have one that's specifically about Pride and Prejudice. And, and it's, have... it's about hooking up the women with the men. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's silly, but it's fun. <laughs> What's another good board game that we got from Kickstarter? Oh, from Kickstarter specifically? Or random ones, yeah. I was going to say the Labyrinth game we had to go to a specific oh, yeah. store to get. That's a lot of fun. It, it, you have to be a big fan of the movie. <laughs> but it's nothing. It's nothing but movie content. Yes. Like you move places, you reveal cards, and it's like this scene in the movie happens. And so this happens to you. <laughs> so, but it's a lot of fun. Anyway, big board game fans. Well, moving on though, we're getting right into 1921's Phantom Carriage. Now, Kelsey, what is the premise of Phantom Carriage? On New Year's Eve, a woman is dying. And she requests to see a man who is, by all accounts, an asshole. <laughs> and it's just about his life and why she wants to see him, basically. Yeah. Okay, good. Interesting. Yeah, is this a horror movie? Absolutely it is. It's 1921, so it's really, really early. It's a Swedish film written, directed, and starring Victor Hörström. <laughs> which, uh, I'm sorry, I don't speak Swedish, so I'm sorry if I completely butchered that name. But Herström is apparently how you pronounce it. It is S-J-O with an umlaut, S-T-R-O with an umlaut, M. So it starts with an S-J and it's pronounced Herström, Herström. <laughs> and it is based on the novel Thy Soul Shall Bear Witness from 1912 by author Selma Lagerlöf. And this story has been remade into like four different movies. Has it? Mm-hmm. Like, what, any names? I think most of them are in Europe, so they're, they're European names. I don't know. It's an interesting story, and we'll get into that. So it is, since it's from 1921, it is part of the public domain, and you can watch it on YouTube right now. It's kind of long for a silent film. It's like it's an hour long. and 45 minutes. Yeah, it's and if you don't like silent movies, I can't recommend this one. Yeah. It's really well done and they did a lot of interesting things with coloring and stuff because as we all know as i hope you know in the 20s we had black and white films but yeah. they they doctored the actual uh film and like dyed right it yeah yeah classic classic things like when you're outdoors at night it's blue you know to reflect that it's dark out and they did really impressive stuff with like putting two 
two pieces of film on top of each other. We'll talk about that. That's, to show ghosts and stuff. That's really interesting. How they do it is much more complex than Kelsey's making it sound right now. <laughs> and and, and we'll, we'll get into that. But go ahead and watch The Phantom Carriage. If you like silent movies. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to talk about it. So you can get the gist here. And apologies if I don't play a lot of clips in this one. Because there's, yeah, there's, there's no, nothing to play. Yeah, there's no sound, so we won't be able to put any clips yeah, in it at it's, all. <laughs> you'll just be hearing our voices for the next half hour or so talking about The Phantom Carriage. I'm going to see if I can find a trailer. Last time I came across an old movie like this, I had to put in a commentary from a TV show about a movie that they were about to play. So we'll see if maybe I can find something similar and put it here. But after that, we'll come right back and talk about 1921's The Phantom Carriage. Nope. Nope. Nope, there is, there is nothing. It is nowhere. There is no serious discussion about the phantom carriage from a respectable, high-profile source in high-quality audio. Like, the Criterion Collection has it. There's a little trailer for the Criterion Collection version of this movie, but it's completely silent, like they're doing a bit or something. So, there's no trailer here, guys, sorry. We're just going to move right on to our discussion. Kelsey. Yes. What happens in the Phantom Carriage? So like I said, this woman, she's like a nurse for Salvation she's a nun. Army. Yeah, or she's a sister in the Salvation Army. Yeah. And she's dying from consumption. And she asks, on her deathbed, she asks to see Mr. David Holm. They say his name quite a bit. Yes, they do. <laughs> and David Holm is this, he's not homeless anymore, I guess. But yeah, when she met it's all him, over the place. <laughs> yeah, when she met him, he was a homeless vagrant who had lost all love for life, all zest for life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his wife left him, but his wife left him because he was an alcoholic who went to jail. And yeah, he was a shitty guy. Oh, no, he's totally shitty. I actually have at one point in this movie, in my notes, Anna at one point says that she's sorry for David. And, I'm, and I wrote down... Anna, you should not be so sorry. David is a grade A douche nozzle. He is awful, like genuinely an awful human being. Now, granted, this movie tells a redemptive story arc, but it happens all the way at the end. Yeah. Through the whole movie, he is just a dick. So, yeah, so basically he was an alcoholic. He went to jail. His his brother got in jail at the same time and, like, killed a guy. And everybody blamed David Holm because For... he was the one that got him to drink so much. And they were like, we should keep you in here instead of him. But they don't. So then he goes home and he's all like, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And then he gets home and he finds out that his wife is left with his children. And he, he just has this vendetta, like, uh -huh. oh, fuck life. And I'm going to find well, her. I'm going to find her. And it's like a revenge tale for him. Yeah. So it's not even like he's going to find her to get her back. He's going to find her to, like, fuck her over somehow for hurting him the way she did. But it's like, dog. And when he does finally find her, he, like coughs and spits on their children yeah he, he doesn't change at all and the he has consumption which is why the salvation army nurse has it because she like fixes his coat for him and yeah, she takes him in one night his disease it's on new year's eve she takes him in and makes a prayer because it's they just opened up makes a prayer to god 
to like wish good things for the first person that they that they serve. Now, of course, she's gonna feel that way about everyone, but she treats the first person that they serve as like this this special symbol of what it is that they can do. And he comes, he sleeps, she mends his coat. He and she's working with his coat all night, which is how she gets the consumption. And then he gets it and he's like, peace out, bitches, and just like rips all the patches that she did and and breaks the the holes in the pockets again for no fucking reason. Just to be a dick. Just to be a dick. Because he has lost all compassion for all life. He hates everyone. And she thinks that she can fix them. And so she puts, he happens to be in the same town as his wife. Not really explained how that happened. But so she gets them back together and, this is a year later now. And he ends up, yeah, like, coughing and spitting on the kids, hoping to get them consumption. And, just to be a dick. Yeah, just to be an all-out, just evil asshole. And then he's a dick to his wife again, and just, it's just, it's really terrible. And then when she calls for him on her deathbed, and he knows this, he's just like, yeah, fuck that bitch, I don't want to go, I don't want right. to see her. And the two men that are with him that are drinking in a graveyard are upset they're like dude you should go see her she's a lovely woman and her name is edith so they're trying to force him to go and he is so adamant that he doesn't go see her on her deathbed that they get into a fight that they get into a fight and one dude hits him over the head with a bottle and he collapses to the ground on top of um uh like one of those stone caskets dead or supposedly dead right now there's another character who we haven't talked about at all george so george as described by Holm, was an educated jolly man um, who was also a vagrant. I don't know how that happened. I think they explain it, but who cares? And he and David Holm are like friends, and he tells him this story about how whoever the last person is to die on New Year's Eve will become the guy who rides the phantom carriage. And that's the carriage that takes you to heaven or hell or whatever basically, the heck it is they believe in. Yeah, basically, you're the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah, He's not hell. actual they're, they're death. Christian. He works for death. This whole sequence is very cool. They, they show him on this carriage, and this is one of those instances where he's a ghost, and so they have to put him on top of cells of actual places and like at one point he's on top of the water of the ocean yeah it's really cool no they they do they do really really cool stuff and i'll get into right uh, in just a second how they actually pull that off but this horseman this this reaper character is like one of the early versions of the grim reaper that we know in our modern pop culture uh the same thing with uh, like this movie was a really big influence on ingmar bergman and apparently he watched this all the time when he made the seventh seal which is a very famous black and white film uh he took inspiration from imagery in this movie and that's a movie where you see you know death as the grim reaper and you know playing games for your soul you know that whole thing visually that's where he got a lot of of what death looks like in the seventh seal uh, was was from this. That's how influential this is. This is not only uh, a very influential film in the history of cinema, it is an extremely influential film in Swedish cinema, which early cinema, 
Swedish cinema, there's some really cool stuff going on there. And uh, we may get into more of that in, in future movies. But I want to talk about the process, how they make Georges look like a phantom. Okay. So, this is 1921. They did not have the ability to uh, print to film yet. That didn't happen until, like, over a decade later. So, in order to get things on film, they needed to film it on film. So, how do you get two images on the same piece of film if you have to film it onto the film? You do double exposures. So, the first time through, you film whatever it is that you're filming. The background, the ocean, that kind of stuff. And you film that. And then you rewind the film in the camera and you film again on top of that. So it's like a one chance. If you fuck it up that second time, you have to go back and refilm the first one. So it's like when we had our little disposable cameras and something would go wrong and we would get pictures that had two images yes. on it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so... The way you get things that look more solid than others is one of two ways. Either you film with the camera in the exact same spot at the exact same angle, and the same objects are filmed in both versions of what you're filming. So it is solid, because you have like a 50% transparent version and a 50% transparent version on top of it, and it's solid. That's, that's one way. That's how you are able to have ghosts stand behind objects and have the object completely obscure them and then they can walk in front of the object and they're see-through so that's how you get stuff like that like uh when he is collapsed on the stone and then he gets up out of that position it's that's very how they cool. did that it looks it looks pretty awesome i mean think about this in 1921 we have that image of a soul leaving the body like that's Incredible, and it was all done in camera. And it looks really good. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look stupid. It doesn't look cheesy. The alternative is to film on black sets, and where the only thing that the camera's really going to pick up is uh, whatever actors or props are on that black set. So it, you're going to get a darker scene, but you can still like see it. That's, that's how we get uh, him walking on the ocean, right? Because... There's nothing over the top of the ocean except just black. So it just makes the ocean look a little darker, but it doesn't make it look see-through like it would in the other method. So it's it's really, really neat, completely practical in-camera effects that they did with this stuff. It's so fucking impressive. I think they did it for, what, two sequences? Three sequences? There's a few. I mean, every time you see them and their ghosts and they're talking to each other, Georges and David, they're doing it that way. Wow. When you when you see Georges picking up souls, uh, you it's that way. And it's funny how he just like lifts them bodily and tosses them into the back of the carriage. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's really funny. Um, so that's the tactic. That's that's the method to get this stuff done. And it's it's really really neat. One thing that we haven't mentioned, and we probably should at this point, if we're talking about revolutionary cinema, is that we've been telling this story chronologically so far. This is not the order of events as they happen in the film. Right. In the film, it starts off with Edith is dying, and she calls out for David Holm, and they look for him. That's how the whole movie starts. And you see him in the graveyard with his buddies, and he tells a story about Georges. 
And Georges is in a bar. He's playing cards, I think, with his buddies and drinking, of course. And he's telling the story about the phantom carriage. And it does another flashback. Yeah, we get multiple flashbacks. It's a flashback within a flashback, which I don't think had ever been done before in cinema. This is like the first time you get inception levels of flashbacks, <laughs> which is really, really neat. So Georges tells the story about the phantom carriage ironically and tragically he dies on christmas eve he shoots himself new year's eve sorry and he shoots himself yeah i, I didn't catch that but that's i don't know really why neat. he did that but yeah he did it and um he describes being this the grim reaper pretty terribly every single night feels like 100 years yeah according to him uh-huh, and you got 365 of them yeah so... And, and you so the because you become the new reaper if you're the last person to die in the year, then at the end of that year, the last person to die replaces you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I, I said he shot himself. Um, The first person that we see him pick up as the Grim Reaper, oh, shot he himself. shot himself. We don't know how Georges dies. Probably consumption, alcoholism, something bad. Georges is actually the one who turns David into an alcoholic. And then David turns his brother into an alcoholic. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> no. They both go to prison, like like Kelsey said, and that's when he comes out and he sees his wife is gone and he goes on this vendetta to seek her out. So he's technically back with his wife, but he's still an absolutely awful human being. And this is when he's on New Year's in a graveyard drinking with his buddies and refusing to see Edith. So George visits him and basically they have a conversation which tells this whole story and who Edith was and why she's important to him or, or why he's important to her. She basically wants to verify number one, that he's okay. She wants to make sure that he's okay. She wants to number two, uh, apologize for, I don't really know, like apologize for no, she wants to apologize. not saving him. She wants to for apologize him for together. bringing them back together yeah, because uh-huh. she thinks she made it worse. And the weirdest part and this comes out of fucking nowhere. Like, there's no reason for this to even be part of the story. She says she's in love with him multiple That's the third times. one. Yeah. And she loves him. Why? There's no reason. I, I assume the book probably goes into yeah. deeper detail. It's kind of unnecessary. I think yeah. just her being a sister in the Salvation Army would explain her eagerness Yeah, and he was the first enough. guy she took care of. And unfortunately for her, he was an asshole. Yeah, and he led to her eventual death so because david still doesn't want to see eat it he George, tries to crawl back into his body he does and it's so adorable it's really funny <laughs> and george says to him this is so great george says god doesn't give a fig for you or your twaddle i have that written down here <laughs> Oh, I'll be here. I'll come to show you God didn't give a fig for you or your twaddle. <laughs> what Georges does is he takes him on the carriage ride, right? And he takes him to see his wife and kids. Kelsey, what's happening in this scene? Oh, the mom, the wife, is she, I think, has consumption or thinks she has consumption. And yeah. she's, you know, she's if you have consumption back then, you were going to fucking yeah. die. And she knows that the father's an asshole. Right. He's and, not gonna and, help. And that she 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 doesn't she already got away from him once. And now they're back together again, they're reunited, and he's an even bigger dick than he ever was. And she's just like, No, this is this is it. 
I can't do anything about this. I can't go through this again. So she's going to poison herself and her children. And kill them all. And and he sees this and he freaks out about it. I mean, he does, he talks to the girl and that's what makes him feel really guilty because he realizes that, oh, this chick just did care about me. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she made that clear the first time. Like, I don't know why you didn't get that before. Right. But he is he is granted grace. It's a, it feels a little bit like Deus Ex Machina. I was at, no joke. I was explaining somebody today. I was explaining to somebody what Deus Ex Machina is. Deus Ex Machina is an old theater term where a story would be so convoluted and messed up by the end that how they solved it is Deus Ex Machina basically means roughly the god from the machine. There was a pulley system above these stages, and they would drop down a character in a robe, would come down as if they were a god descending from the heavens, and say, everything is now right again, and just magically change things to be right. And so those two convenient endings are called deus ex machina. Like, for instance, in Dodgeball, the money that they need is exactly the prize money of this Dodgeball tournament. So when they bring out the chest, it's literally a chest full of money. It says on it, Deus Ex Machina. Ah. So that's what it is. It's these two neat endings that are wrapped up in really quick, simple, convoluted kind of ways where it's just like, I know I said neat and convoluted, but they got to break their back in order to just go, nope, it's all clean. It's the, it was all a dream ending, that kind of stuff. I was, I mean, yes, absolutely, when you say it that way, absolutely. But I was going to say, and I guess you could say that this also has deus ex machina. I was going to say it reminded me a lot of A Christmas Carol. Because everybody makes this big deal about the fact that Ebenezer Scrooge goes from being this asshole to becoming like, yay, I love life and I love everybody. It's right? fear. It is pure fear. Mm-hmm. He does not change until he realizes, oh, fuck, I'm going to die if I don't do something about mm -hmm. this. I mean, yeah, he feels guilty about a lot of shit, but that's the moment when he changes. So I hate it when everybody tries to talk about how great a character Scrooge is, because he's really not. Right. He's a human who doesn't want to die. Uh-huh. And he doesn't have his redemption until the very end, and it's out of fear. And that's kind of how I feel about this. She, the author, changed it a little bit so that he was more concerned about his wife and children dying. Yeah. But he didn't care about that before when he was willing to make them go through a suffering yeah, before totally. they died. Totally. So... The, the difference is, though, with Ebenezer Scrooge, they show him his future and he makes a decision to change his present so that future doesn't come true. In this, the ghost shows him the present and then reverses events for him. He was dead and then he becomes alive again. No real explanation. It's just that he needs to get there. He feels this so passionately and he needs to save his family that he's kind of given this one grace of a second chance. And it's not explained if Georges has to continue on for another year and that's a sacrifice that George is making or if somebody else takes his place. Right? And I was wondering if... I got the feeling it was George making a sacrifice for him. I hope so because I I was worried that it was going to be Eat It. Yeah. Because she's dying on New Year's. Like totally, the whole yeah. movie uh -huh. I was sitting there like is she going to have to go through this shit? Right. 
yeah, I get the feeling that it's Georges who is accepting another year as the Grim Reaper in order to let him come back to life. And that's his gift. He, David couldn't give that gift to his brother, who's going to serve a long sentence. And the warden tells him, people think you should serve this sentence for him because you're the reason he's here. You're the reason he's, he became a drunkard and that led to him murdering somebody. So people think you should serve this sentence. He freaks out and leaves. And so his brother is still in fucking prison and he doesn't make a sacrifice for something that he caused at all in this entire fucking movie. George, on the other hand, who is likewise responsible for David becoming a drunkard, he does make that sacrifice as a way of making amends. I like that. It makes George's character a little bit more attractive. He's the one with the more redemptive arc. David doesn't have it. He has a 180 degree turn right at the end of the movie because he doesn't want his family to die. He doesn't at any point realize, oh, I'm a total ass and I shouldn't be. It's just, oh, if I keep this up or if I don't do anything to stop it, they're going to die. And that's it. Like that's fear again. It's the Ebenezer Scrooge change. It's kind of a bummer. Anyway, that's the story of the Phantom Carriage. And it's wrapped up, I think, by this one line that's said multiple times throughout the movie. It's George's prayer for humanity. He tells it to David when they're on the carriage together. And then David says it again at the end of the movie. And this is supposed to reflect what actually happens to David. I don't think it does. I think it more happens to George, which is Lord... Please let my soul come to maturity before it is reaped. Now, luckily, he had that chance. His soul wasn't actually reaped. George, unfortunately, was a little too late. It's a real big bummer. But that is The Phantom Carriage. Kelsey, lightning round. I don't have anything else. You don't? I have a few things. Okay. <laughs> there are two words in this movie that are Swedish that are funny when you read them in English. <laughs> so Edith works for the Salvation Army, right? And she goes into a bar trying to get people clean. One of which is one of David's friends, and it actually works. He turns to God. He gets himself clean. He's the one that tries to tell David originally at the beginning of the movie that Edith is dying and she wants to see you. He can't get him to come. Anyway, that's what she does. And she wears a hat that talks about how it's probably a really early usage of this word, and I don't know what the origin is, so I'm sorry. But she wears a hat, and a lot like a reporter wears a hat with a card in it that says press, and it's like their press pass. She wears a hat that has a banner on it that says slum. So it's just the word slum. And it's a really cool hat, and I really want that hat. <laughs> Second word is at the end of the movie, the end translates from Swedish the word slut. So at the end of the movie, it just says the word slut on screen. <laughs> and I'm immature and it made me laugh. <laughs> After they get reunited, and this is the scene where he throws his cough rag into his wife's face. He coughs and spits around his children. He goes into the kitchen and she locks him in there. How does he get out, Kelsey? Oh, that's right. He knocks it down with an axe. And that is where the idea came from for... The Shining. Mm -hmm. Here's Johnny. Yes. Really, really neat. I thought that was cool to see the progenitor of that scene. It's pretty neat. That's about it. 
that is the Phantom Carriage. It is an hour and 45 minute long or so silent film. And we got some audio throughout it. The version you'll find on YouTube has this. It's like these string sounds and it's these long drawn out notes through the whole thing. And they do make it creepy. It, it does. I did and, like and it that. Ha- it, it builds this sort of tension and it feels like Hans Zimmer. Like what he did for the Joker's theme in The Dark Knight where it's just like those long, scratchy violin sounds that the whole movie sounds like that. I mean, overall, I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get through because it's so long and it is silent. And, I mean, I like my share of silent movies, but I, I'll be the first to admit it's really hard for me to pay attention to them. And when it's this long... And it's this slow of a story. It's pretty hard to to keep my interest. But it's good. And it does such amazing things with film. I, I would highly recommend it to a film buff. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to just a casual horror fan. Because it's not really scary at all to right. us. It's, it's creepy. It's dreadful, I would say. Yeah. That, that's what makes it a horror movie. I mean, it's scary in the way that Scrooge is scary. You know, like, this yeah. shit could happen to you. You know? Like, that's... That's the scary factor. So, Kelsey, Hmm. what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is? I'm going to guess 91%. 90% is the audience score. Hmm. The critic score is 100% from 11 reviews. And you can see why it does. It's a technical marvel for its time. It's super influential in cinematic history. Doubt anybody's going to be the one to say... I didn't like it. There wasn't any sound. You couldn't hear a word they were saying. (laughs) Nobody's going to do that, so it got 100%. Yeah, I mean, the story is great. I'd probably give it an 80. I mean, like I said, the story is great. The effects are awesome. Mm -hmm. It's just... But taking it for what it is, divorced from the context of cinematic history, it's it's cool. Uh, Maybe 75. Yeah, it's just kind of long and slow. Yeah. And it doesn't scare us at all because we're, you know, in 2017. Right. right. Almost, <laughs> almost 100 years. Almost 100 years ago. It was 2018. probably. Oh, yeah. We're in 2018 now. Uh, almost 100 years ago. It was probably pretty fucking scary. I should probably also add here at the end the fact that it is like a cinematic technical marvel. That is 1921's Phantom Carriage. Next up, we're going to get into. 2009's lifeblood but before we do that we're gonna do the last two trivia cards from the slash cards trivia game the first question is the headmistress of a prep school has been hiding from her brother for 20 years now she fears he will return to kill her son in this 1998 film this was yours again. this is another one <laughs> That I could not successfully answer. It's confusing because it calls her a headmistress, and we never think of her as that. Right, yeah. It, and and they tell the plot like it's new, like, but it's not. But when you break it down, and that's you think exactly about what the, the plot year, is. And you think about the fact that she's afraid of her brother. And that's the point. It's supposed to be really tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the answer is Halloween H2O 20 years later. So... I didn't even realize she was a headmistress. Yeah, no, I (laughs) nope, no idea. But it tells you what we think about that movie. (laughs) Every Halloween movie after five for us. Oh, everyone after five. (laughs) How many are 
<laughs> I don't know. There's like eight or nine. <laughs> yeah. There's like all, eight, I think. They're all pretty terrible after yeah. that. And I, I mean, most people would say that the only good one is one. Some people would say two. Two is just one again. I would say three, because three is dope as shit. A lot of people love three, but I think a lot of people love three that are not necessarily big fans of the original one. Right, yeah. I think I think Trick or Treat, when they make the sequel to that one, I think that's going to be what Halloween 3 was trying to be, which was a just like a seasonal film. Every time the season comes around, we're going to do another film like this, completely divorced from the previous ones, just a self-contained story. But I like four and five, but all the ones after that, it's just like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I'm so nervous about the new one. Yes. So, the last question that we're going to talk about here is another one we got wrong. Kelsey got this one wrong, I think. Or was this... No, this one was for me again! God damn it! You chose these cards! These were the interesting ones that I set aside while we were playing as being important. This is important because we actually discussed this movie... In one of our episodes. And this topic came up. And we didn't know the answer then. And the movie doesn't fucking tell you. The question is. The Wolfman from 1949. (laughs) 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 Takes place in what European country? And we talked about it on the show. Like, I don't know where the hell it's supposed to be. (laughs) They don't tell you. So the fact that this question is on here is bullshit. Kelsey, do you remember what the answer is? It's Wales. The answer is Wales. Okay, none of them have we a Welsh. Thought it was, we thought it was English. Yeah, but, but none of them have a Welsh accent. Yeah, totally. And the only guy who even has an English accent is Claude Rains. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's great that that's the case. We, I just thought it was really funny considering we talked about that same exact topic and how the movie does not tell you. Mm-hmm. And it ended up in this trivia game. So next time, we're going to actually ask each other questions live on recording and uh, see if we can get the answer or not. So, Moving on, we're going to talk about 2009's Lifeblood. Kelsey, what is the premise of Lifeblood? The premise of Lifeblood is a lesbian couple on New Year's Eve get told by a desert angel (laughs) that they are now going to be immortal creatures that feed on the evil people of the world. Yes, and it's it's the drama that comes from that. Now, <laughs> normally this would be the part where I tell you to go ahead and watch the movie and come back and we'll talk about 2009's Lifeblood. But I'm not going to do that this time. I am urging you, <laughs> do not watch this movie. <laughs> Please just continue listening to this podcast. We will tell you about it. This was not a good, great week for us. <laughs> and you should be thankful that we saw this piece of trash so that you do not have to. It's really a piece of garbage. And it's a real big bummer. It has Scout Taylor Compton again, who is in the remake of Halloween. The person who Chris I used to know. And she's on the cover. Okay, so on the cover... There are two women, and these are the holy vampires. These are the main characters. And there are two names on the box, and one of those names is Scout Taylor Compton. Scout is neither of these women. (laughs) She is a character that's in all of two scenes in the entire movie. No, I think three, but yeah. I guess technically we see her early on in the party. But, ugh. (laughs) Anyway, 
don't watch this movie. Just stick around and listen to this trailer excerpt, and we will come back and begrudgingly talk about 2009's Lifeblood. On a darkened road, in the middle of nowhere, Roadkill is about to take on. What do we have here? Smells so good. I could just eat you alive. A whole new meaning. You gotta try this. It's like some animal came along and ate these poor bastards. You want me to kiss it better? It is up to us to rid the world of these people. Do you mind if we close the blinds? Well, the sun's just coming up. I know, but are you hot? Hey, 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 freaky bitches, what is up with you? We just want to do it in the dark. I am going to kill you and kill you and kill you. This ends now. Go ahead, take one more step. Lifeblood. Oh, Danny boy. Where, where is my Danny boy? Kelsey, what was Lifeblood about? Lifeblood is about a lesbian couple at a debaucherous New Year's Eve party in 1969. They're both models. 1969, get it? It's that kind of movie, folks. They're models, and it's like famous people. There's a movie star, blah, blah, blah. So they're talking to this movie star, and this movie star is trying to hit on them, and they're not having it because, you know, they're lesbians. And the actress that Chris knew, she's all like, dude, you're a movie star. I want to hook up with a movie star. But he ends up being a sick, twisted fuck. Mm-hmm. And this will bother us for the rest of the film. Yeah. Because for the rest of the film, I guess I, could, I should say what happens. Yeah. The blonde model comes in, sees what's happening, and... Tells him, you know, fuck off, leave this girl alone, blah, blah, blah. Well, you didn't say what was happening. He's, like, torturing her, and he's going to rape her. Yes. He's going to hit her with a soap, can a cack, a cake, a cack? Cake of soap, a cake of soap, a cake of soap. Billy Brown for seven years hasn't voiced behind his ears. Well, <laughs> there's still some hope. I'll just add a cake of soap. Okay, a cake of soap. cake of soap in a sock and she's like not totally naked but she's basically naked i don't know if we're supposed to think she's naked but she's no, obviously no, no, no. Not. she's wearing her underwear her underclothes or whatever and and he's threatening to hit her with the soap in a sock if she doesn't cooperate and so the blonde comes in she's like you know fuck you leave her alone and he's like what are you gonna do about it because he's had this whole spiel about i'm a famous actor no one's gonna believe you yeah which unfortunately is probably true. Right. So, the blonde girl, I forget what he does to set her off finally, but he does or says something, and she slashes at him, and then she ends up enjoying it, so she just totally goes all murdery on his ass. Yeah. He was he was gonna die, <laughs> but she just went crazy on him, right? Yeah. For the rest of the film, people will give her shit for what she did. Did she enjoy killing him a little too much? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But did he have it coming? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he fucking did. Yeah, except 
at one point they're sitting in a convenience store called Murder World. Why? Don't ask us. I think the idea is that they're at a location called Murder World. Like it's some sort of like, you know, shitty middle of nowhere tourist attraction type place. They were treating it like it was a 7-Eleven. Right. And there's like a gas station with a AM PM kind of thing. But there's no explanation as to where the term Murder World comes from. Absolutely none. And they're watching a report, which just This is way in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 40 years. Yeah, no, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. And it just happens to be playing a documentary that lasts all of three minutes long from beginning to end about what happened with the murder of this famous dude. And then they interview Scout and she's saying, I don't know what happened. She just fucking lost it and killed him. We were going to have sex and she came in and killed him and she was nuts. I was just about to make love to him and Brooke stormed in. She was out of control and she started stabbing him in the neck several times. That must have been very difficult to witness. She told me if I told anybody else, I was next. I think she was just jealous. Can you believe that bitch? And which is contrary to what we saw. Come to find out later that no, that's exactly what happened. She just, for no reason, killed the guy. And the girl was never being raped. Like, nothing happened. She just walked in on the two of them and then killed him. No explanation for why she behaves this way. But this sort of behavior is going to be her M.O. throughout the entire movie. But that's not what happened. We saw what happened. No, no, no. no. That's what I'm telling you. What we saw was a lie. The movie was lying to us. She confirms later on in the movie that, yes, what Scout said in that interview was true. And that girl's story, it's true. But he deserved it. Okay, I remember when that happened and I was just like, what? Yeah. I don't... There's no explanation. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. They make no attempt to explain that. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. I almost felt like she said that's exactly what happened because she was just done with defending herself. Yeah. Because ever since this has happened, her lesbian lover has just been like, I can't believe you killed him. And it's just like... I can! Yeah. No, she was super unsupportive and super freaking out. And it's like, how about the part where he was going to rape the girl? Yeah, like, and that's why I'm like, okay, I think she just got sick of defending herself and just said, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe, there's maybe. No, I don't know. There's no explanation. Oh, God. So anyway. So they leave the party early yeah. because she murdered this guy. <laughs> and they're driving through the desert. Yeah. And the blonde chick is freaking out and the brunette's just like, what's going on? And then she ends up telling her and the brunette is supposed to be so pure and so honest. And they say this multiple times. Yeah. Purity and honesty. Which, which she talks about being devoted to God and all of that. Uh, We are warriors for God. That's how the movie starts. She's giving this lecture to somebody that we don't see in some diner. And then it flashes back to what we're actually seeing. And it's going to come up later. It's going to be dumb. Don't worry. So, as they're driving, the blonde says, I wish I could just take the top down and let the desert air purify my soul or some shit. And that's basically what happens, which is why it's so confusing as to why the blonde is like, fuck this, when she finds out that she's a vampire. Yeah. It's, it, her character's all over the place. It just works with whatever works in that moment. So she, after killing that dude, she runs over a possum. And they make an enormous 
deal about that. It's like, what was she supposed yeah. okay. to do? Okay. It was in the middle of the road. Let's talk about this progression of events. <laughs> a man has been beating a woman and is about to rape her. She kills that man and saves that woman. So assault, brutal assault, attempted rape, murder has all happened so far. <laughs> Sorry, a killing. I wouldn't call it murder. At least not in the context that it was presented to us. I don't know. Well, she didn't have to do that to save the girl, I guess. Well, okay, I'm fine with her stabbing it wasn't once, like defense. but then she just keeps going. Right, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no reason uh-huh. to. <laughs> Anyways, all this stuff has happened so far. And then they run over a possum. And the girlfriend just fucking loses it. <laughs> and it's not like, oh, she's so emotional because of everything that's happened so far. No, she legitimately is like, you killed that possum! <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense why she is so pissed off at this. And I'd like to stop and take a minute and talk about that possum. We get a close-up of the possum, the roadkill possum, <laughs> on the road. And it is gruesome and twitching and guaranteed 75% of this movie's budget was spent on that effect. It looked so good and was so unnecessary. So. They're in an argument on the side of the road. And the chicks, the the, the brunette says, what is happening? I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't have any more death. That possum wasn't hurting anyone. What is happening? I can't take it! I can't take it! Just pull the car over! No, I'm just gonna keep driving. I can't have any more time! Just pull the car over! And my response that I wrote down is, what is even happening? (laughs) What does any of this mean? Oh. She just, yeah, she goes nuts. So Well, so she says, so this is Rhea, is the one who's losing her mind. I, I write down, why is she losing her fucking mind? Quote, everything's dying, what does it mean? And she repeats, what does it mean, over and over again. Oh, is that what and, I, I wrote, and, what does it mean? Maybe that's what I was talking about. What is going on? I wasn't, wasn't hurting anyone. He was just sitting there. And we came along and hit him. Everything's dying. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. And it doesn't have to mean anything. But she demands that this death of this possum means something. And it's it's the it's the absolute worst. Nothing has to mean anything. We know why Warren died. Yeah. We know why the possum's dead. And it's really great because the blonde is like, you are overreacting. Yeah. And so the blonde says, I'm more sad about the possum than I am about Warren. Right. Which makes sense. Right. And it drives me nuts. The entire movie, I'm just like, why does anyone give a shit about this Warren person? Yeah. He was a bastard. He deserved to die. Oh, why? and then they reveal in a twist later on that maybe he wasn't. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so then the brunette goes, you don't know the things that I feel. I feel things and you don't know. And it's like she suddenly has this connection to nature or some shit. And then the blonde goes off about like, is this what you wanted? And I wrote down, how is any of this connected? Right. All these random ass things they are talking about, what do they have to do with each other? Talking random ass in the middle of this argument, this whirling dervish of a 
mini dust tornado comes up and just starts like pushing around Brooke, the blonde. And she's like, you want me? You want me? Yes, I have that written down. (laughs) It's so bad. She gets pushed over by the wind and immediately it's not like, whoa, that was really weird. This gust of wind came out of nowhere, which is what you would anticipate or somebody's reaction would be. No, she immediately gets up. She picks up a branch or a piece of wood on the ground as a club and starts swinging it wildly going, you want me? You want me? (laughs) Like it's legitimately a person. Like she accepts immediately that this is an entity meaning her harm. Like in in the real world, you never would. This is the bad writing that we're subjected to in this. It is an entity meaning to do her harm and it kills her. Yeah. At which point, God shows up. Now, like- She calls herself an angel. No, she's God. Somehow in the movie, they talk about how God is a her. She shows up. No, she says, I am God because God made angels in his image. So she, she's, Does she say that? Yeah, she's basically saying, I'm an angel, okay. but I'm like God because I'm like God's image. Anyway, I even wrote down this God speech. I was under the impression that she was supposed to be God, a la Alanis Morissette and Dogma, which was fine. I liked that. Not this. This is really bad. It's just another <laughs> sexy woman in slinky clothes. Yeah, she's clothes. like naked. Like, you can totally see her breasts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this movie. <laughs> this movie is only a vehicle for your typical... Busty ladies. Busty model types kissing. That and is you the... barely even get any of that. No. No, you get it all the fucking time. Kiss, 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 kiss. All the time. We've already got the two of them making out a lot up to this point. And then, with God, it is kiss. Yes. Long kiss. She she makes out with God slash angel. <laughs> right? And then, and then the angel God says, drink from me. I guess a la Jesus. <laughs> drink from me. And then more kissing. As if lesbian kisses are the way we imbue power. Like, I need, I need, I need to be clear here. <laughs> this is not an indictment of lesbians. I've, I've, I've said this kind of thing in the past on this show. And if you are a lesbian or any variation thereof, if you are anywhere on the sexual spectrum, do, do you... We are not here to yuck your yum. But this isn't for you. This movie is for idiot bros to go, look at these vampire lesbians, isn't it hot? Like, that's what this is here for. I'm here to yuck their yum. Fuck those guys. (laughs) No, 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 just kidding, just kidding. But that's, that's the entire substance of this movie is... Scantily clad women with vampire powers. Wouldn't this be sexy? And they're kissing all the time. The entirety of the substance of this film. Garbage. So, she's like, you're going to become an immortal creature and you're going to rid the world of evil. And she's like, what about my girlfriend? And she's like, no, she's evil. And she's like, no, you don't know her. And she's like, uh, I'm an angel. Yeah, right. No. (laughs) And she's like, no, 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 I can do this. And the angel's like, fine, this is going to be your burden. But it says, you are not exempt from evil. You can turn. 
And if I do this, if I bring your girlfriend back, there will be a price. No one questions what the price is. She's just uh-huh. like, yep, I'm down. Yep. And uh, brings her back to life. Because she's so full of purity and honesty. Yes. And brings them both back to life as vampires. Now, you're wondering, why does God have to make them vampires? Here's what makes them vampires. They are super strong. They must consume blood. They must feast on the living in order to survive. And they can't be exposed to daylight. Now you're wondering, why is that part of it? Why is the daylight thing part of it? I understand you ha- you hunger for humans and you're supposed to eat the evil ones and you need power to do that. So you need to be super strong like a vampire is. Why do they need to be out of the daylight, Kelsey? Because evil people are usually out at night. And they need to conduct their dark business at night. And, and that's how them. God makes sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. We need to find darkness. Why? Daylight can kill us. It's God's way of forcing us to work at night. so dumb so dumb are you getting what i'm saying when i'm telling you this is just strictly a vehicle for sexy vampire lesbians and that is it because that's the kind of story that we're gonna get that's the kind of explanation that we're gonna get at one point the angel god says once i made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and killed Almost everything. What kind of line is that? And why would she even say that? Well, first of all, she says, uh, our brunette girl said that in the very first scene in the uh diner. And it's just explaining... Oh, she kills evil people. Like, God wants to clean the world of evil people. God wants to cleanse the world, but he he realizes, I can't keep killing everybody. Yeah. (laughs) And killed almost everything. That's God speaking, by the way. That's God's talk. And then God says... I killed almost everything. <laughs> but that can't that can't happen again. Right. It's no, like I'm not talking about the mistake. content. I'm talking about the words, the dialogue. <laughs> That's the way God talks. I killed almost everything. <laughs> so, so So then dumb. we cut to 40 years later. Because for whatever reason, they need to go underground for 40 years. That's never explained. In, like, these weird pod things? Yeah, it's really odd. But before we see them again, we get to meet uh, the sheriff of the town. Okay, okay. This was hard to get through. (laughs) Okay, well, no, even before we get there, Kelsey. Yes. For $1,000. Yes. What is the first thing they do when they get out of the pods? They kiss. They kiss. I don't even remember. Ding that. ding 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 ding. Yeah, I guess I just wasn't paying attention to that. Right? It's not important to me. So dumb. It was like one of these sexy, passionate kisses. Is the first thing they do when they wake up. I mean, I zero substance. They aren't even very. Neither of them are. They don't attractive. even like each other. Neither of them are very attractive to me. So it's just like, eh. yeah. Like I'm not. I didn't care that they were like making out. Like for me, it was just like, oh, they're in love. That's nice. So we cut to two police officers in the police station watching TV. Kelsey, can you tell me the name of the program that they are watching? Chicks chasing chickens. Welcome to the New Year's Eve's Chicks Chasing Chicken Special. Boy, these girls just love chasing cock. I'm excited about today. I think I can catch me one of them cocks. This is my cock call. Click 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 click. Here. Chicks Chasing Chickens. This is the show that these police officers are watching. You can tell this is trying to be like extreme out there trauma style, but it really fails. And it's just a bunch of chicks 
With big boobs. With big boobs in bikinis running after chickens saying what word a lot? I caught the cock. I caught the cock. I'm, ch- I'm going to get this cock. I bet this cock likes my pussy and then there's a cat. Yeah, no, like. It's really This terrible. is what we're talking about, people. I mean, to be It's fair, not even funny. To be fair, the cop himself who is like, what is this? Like, <laughs> and he's a, he's a real interesting, uh. This is what I wrote. <laughs> Chicks chasing chickens? Is this Charles Napier's final indignity? And I looked it up. Jesus, almost. It's his last movie role. Who is he? Charles Napier is an actor. <laughs> Thanks. Got that. I know him mainly as being the voice of Duke from The Critic. He's the critic's boss. He's the Ted Turner type. Well, that's my speech. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to put on some leather and go get spanked. Vote for Duke. Good night. That's what I know him from. And he is a fantastic actor and voice actor. He is awful in this. And it's the last movie he's ever been in. What would I know him from? Uh, The last role he had was an episode of Archer. The last role he ever did. He was a voice in an episode of Archer. He's one of the cops in Silence of the Lambs that gets killed. He's one of the cops that gets killed by... Is he the one whose face he takes off? No, the other one. The one who he steals the keys from. He's the, I mean, you you saw his face in this. There's there's the younger of, one and I mean, the older I one. I more remember the guy whose face gets cut yeah. off for obvious reasons. <laughs> he's in Rambo. He's in the Never Blues Brothers. Never he's in it. Austin Powers. As who? Commander Gilmore. No. He's not a big role. Anyway, the first time we see him, it's very clear that they're trying to make fun of American bros, which is funny because Chris says that that's who it's for. That's who this movie is for, yeah. Because the first shot, he's looking out and you can see the American flag waving behind him. Yeah. It's like, it's very clear that they're trying to make fun of American bros. He's supposed to be racist and sexist. And he is. But while he, like I said, like, while he's watching the show, he's like, what is this? Like, why is this on television? But he's an asshole. Yes. He's racist. He's sexist to his own employee, the the woman cop, mm-hmm. but they make you kind of like him and feel bad when he dies. Like, yeah. what message are they trying to convey with this character? It's all over the place. Yeah. It, it is whatever works for that moment in the, in the movie. Ron Carlson, you're the worst. Like, I'm sorry, you don't know what you're doing. You know that he made uh, another movie that has Ashton Kutcher's wife in it? Tom Cool. Yep, and she's in it. Yep. And uh, All-American Christmas Carol. Like, all these movies are just, like, sexy ladies. Like, that's that's his shtick. And I, like, we purposefully try not to call out individuals. Like, there's, there are bad movies that we saw. Like, Dismembering Christmas was not a good movie. But we made a point to call out, okay, this is obviously on a shoestring budget and it's not a big production company. It's just a bunch of friends, and they're they're doing their damnedest to in a in an area where they're, that they're passionate about. And right? parts of it were good, right? And there's some really great stuff in there, but it's not a great movie. And we feel really bad when we have to call people out because these are our actual opinions. This one, Ron Carlson, I do not feel bad. You are awful, and you should stop making movies. First time I'm going to say this on this show. And hopefully the last. But I don't know. Like, awful. I don't know. Get out of the business. I kind of feel like Rob Zombie shouldn't be making movies. 
No, even with Rob Zombie, I was like, there's a lot of potential in Rob Zombie. If he just got out of his shtick that he does, he could make really good movies. Okay. No, 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 no. There's a lot of really good content there, but he does the same trite shit over and over and over again. If he just made something else. Ron Carlson, I saw nothing redemptive about this movie. Certain moments were funny. He did make me laugh, like, twice. (laughs) So his deputy or whatever hears him say something sexist and he goes, you know, one day they're going to nail you on sexual harassment. They can do that, you know, they being women. (laughs) Uh So then we cut back to our lesbian couple and the blonde is having a real tough time with accepting her fate. That she's supposed to be a warrior for God or whatever. and And it pisses her off. And like, like the- immediately, this is not a turn <laughs> that happens. We find out later that she was, she killed that guy. Supposedly she killed that guy for no reason. The world will never, the world know. will never know. <laughs> but if that is true, if we take for granted what the movie tells us, which we can't do because it told us earlier in the film that she had a reason for doing and it. And there's nothing about And it's a that- throwaway fucking line that, oh no, it's, it was all the truth. And there's nothing about that scene that tells you that it's in her head or right. that it's fake. No, nothing about it. So we can't take this movie at face value at all yeah but if we if we were to she's just evil throughout the whole thing with no fucking reason no reason and then she gets these powers and she's like fucking great and they come across their first her first victims oh but i was gonna say okay not once not twice but three times she has to say this is not a joke the brunette Uh uh-huh and i was like i get it it's not not a a joke joke. i get it (laughs) So they come across probably my favorite character in the movie. Oh. This truck driver, Bill. Poor guy. He has a wife and kids. And he's like, when they start coming, or when, when Brooke starts coming on to him, he's like, he's he's not even at all like, ooh. Yeah, he's just he's like immediately, listen, lady, I got a wife and kids. Do you need help or not? It smells so good. I could just eat you alive. Hey, I'm married and I got kids. Help them. He saw right. them on the side of the fucking road. And he right. came back to help them. There's another him. guy with him who's trying to hitch a ride, and he's kind of a jackass. He, yeah, we don't know if he would have been like a total rapist, but Kelsey, he what's had that feel about him? What's the first thing that Brooke does when they come across these men? She immediately starts hitting on the fat guy. She kisses Rhea. More kissing. See, I don't even know. It's all over the place, kissing for no reason. Just no reason doesn't serve the plot at all. It's just, look, it's women kissing again. (laughs) And she smells Bill. And she's hungry. They do give her, oh, she takes his food. And she's like, this tastes like crap because she can't eat human food anymore. But she smells him. And this is the caliber of humor in this movie. What is it that she says to him? You smell good? She says, what is that? Very Old Spice. What is that? Very Old Spice. That's the joke, people. The old and Old Spice refers to an old person. Okay, so when I said there's humor, (laughs) we have not gotten to the scene where there's humor yet. Right, yes. You know what scene I'm talking about. I think so. Yeah. But we'll get there. Anyway, push comes to shove. She kills both of them. She ends up killing both of them. Even though the brunette really doesn't want her to. And the brunette... You know, tries to qualify it as, well, you're starving. I'm starving too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got to listen to me. I'm the Mm -hmm. one in charge. 
And it's pretty great. She she finally steps up and mm-hmm. is just like, you know what? You're going to fucking do what I tell you to do. And they get in in Bill's truck and drive away with the trailer. And they have to hurry because they can't be out in the daytime. Now why do they have to hurry? Because they can't be out in the daytime. Yeah. But where are they hurrying to? They don't know because they're in the middle of the desert. They make it to Murder World and they need yeah. to get inside and they need to lock the door of this facility that is open it's to like the a public. Or a no, gas yeah, station. totally. They need to try to lock the door. They need to close the blinds or they're going to die. Kelsey, what are they driving? Oh, because they cause he's got like a truck and they could get inside and the truck. They are towing a trailer, a camper. That's right. Which they could just fucking get in and sleep through the daytime. But they don't. Nope. But it leads to And it's to never the, even mentioned. But it leads to the scene that's funny. Okay, go ahead. So they get inside, and I got so excited when I saw who the t- attendant was. Do you know his name? You play ball like a girl. Patrick Renna. In case he didn't get it, that's his line from Sandlot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's just as awesome as he was in the Sandlot. Yeah, I mean, he's fun in this movie. Yeah, he's really funny. He, he made me laugh a couple times. Uh-huh. What does he say to her? Do you remember? I wrote this down because I thought it was another really bad line. Trying to sound really cool and badass, and it's just dumb. Especially since they don't describe or tell you why this place is called Murder World. He asks her, or he says to her, you don't work at Murder World. What's her response? Do you remember? No. I am Murder World. You don't work at Murder World. I am Murder World. Dude, I think she's a vampire. Run! Ladies and gentlemen, lifeblood. <laughs> and then more fucking kissing. More kissing. <laughs> yeah, so she decides to, like, hit on him and make out with the girl because she wants him to let them stay. And she's promised the brunette that she's not going to kill anymore until they find evil people. So they get inside there. And he's really smart. And I liked that. Yeah. I like that he's not a dumb gas station attendant. Yeah. He's actually, he picks up on what the fuck is going uh-huh. on pretty quickly. Like, this is bad. Something and, is happening. And it's so You're great. not going to rob me, are you? Exactly. <laughs> she keeps hitting on him and he's like, look, you're hot as hell, but you're not going to rob me because I'll get fired. <laughs> so whatever the heck you're doing right now, you can just stop. And I love that because- Patrick Renna, you're the best part of this movie. Both him and the truck driver are like- Oh right, the tr- Bill. I love the I love Bill too. Because they're just like, look, bitch. <laughs> I get it. I'm not the most attractive man. You think you can prey on me easily? But guess what? Just because I can't get with a chick like you doesn't mean I necessarily want and to. And doesn't mean I'm going to act like an idiot just because you're in my presence, which is counter to the whole reason this movie fucking exists. And that's why I'm saying that you might be wrong about who this is for. I don't think so. I don't know. There's who a is lot it of for? evidence. I don't know who it's for, but I don't think it's necessarily Right, for there's Rose. two characters, our two favorite characters, which are the ones that are not beguiled by the, the sexy wiles of these women at all. And they're like, yeah, I get it. Like you say, you're sexy, but like, I have priorities and I'm not going to just become a dumb idiot when I see you. Like, but everything else about this movie is communicated in such a way where it's like, isn't this sexy? You yeah, know, isn't like, this sexy? Isn't I mean, everybody, isn't this sexy? Look, we're going to make them kiss again. Well, they're kind of dirty in their kissing now. Like, oh, God. And like, I don't know if that's ever worked for any re- any girls in the real world. 
I hardly ever have tried, but I think I've tried like once or twice when I was like 19. I guess I'm not hot because it never worked for me. <laughs> I never got anything based on my sexiness. Kelsey, so. there. I love you. I think you're gorgeous. Thank you, honey. But so like, I've always resented movies that show it just like, oh, if you just flirt with a guy, you'll get free shit. That's never happened to me. Okay. <laughs> so You ever gotten out of a, out of a ticket? No. By being sexy? No. <laughs> gotta just show him your tits just like when he comes up your shirt's just open (laughs) that's how you do it apparently apparently okay well anyway so that's pretty great that he's smart and then like he's basically just like all right well i've got two vampires in here and i'm just kind of hoping that they don't kill me so i'm just gonna go along with whatever the fuck they tell me to do but unfortunately it is a gas station and so family shows up on top of that the two guys they murdered and just left in the street uh-huh. have gotten found by the local cops. So they need to make their way over there. And the local cop who actually finds them is Danny Woodburn. You might know him. He's the little person. He's in Jingle All the Way. <laughs> He's the guy that brings Schwarzenegger that tries to sell him the fake thought, Turbo Man doll. Yeah, I had been in a bunch of stuff but he's I guess, in no he's in death to smoochie do i know him from seinfeld was he in seinfeld i think so yeah, yeah uh-huh. okay. he played splinter in the new teenage mutant ninja turtles movies really yes is splinter supposed to be japanese <laughs> i mean yeah his name is hamato yoshi <laughs> i remember that <laughs> but so sandlot guy ends up telling them you know there's a lot of weird deaths around here which implies like, that this desert goddess creates people around there all the time, you know? Or this is just where the evil is and that's what all the deaths are about. But we don't we don't get any insight into what those deaths are. We assume that that's why this place is called Murder World. Is it like a testament to all the deaths that happen around here? Well, this family is just stopping at a place called Murder World <laughs> so the mom can pee. Because they got stuck... On the road because they had to clean up the bodies and so they had to wait forever. So she goes inside. They try to kick her out. And she's like, something's weird going on here. Yeah, so she goes in and he tells her the bathroom is broken. Get the fuck out. And she walks out. My response, if I was her, I would be like, okay, clearly they're being robbed and we should call the police and we should get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Instead, she's just like... Something weird's going on around here. Honey, you want to go check this out? Yeah, I really need to pee. He's like, let's just go somewhere else. And she's like, nah, I gotta pee. So he's like, fine, I'll walk you inside. We'll figure out what's going on. And he's the real pushy customer type, which is kind of fun. He's kind of fun. He's like, like, oh, the the toilet's broken? What's wrong with it? I I can take care of it. It's clogged. Great, where's the plunger? You know, like, he's that kind of person. And so... He goes into the bathroom with his wife and is like, it's not broken. He, what, what is he talking about? And he goes back outside just to wait for his wife. And that's when he sees something that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause it's just a nothing moment. They get into a fight. They get into an argument. The girls. The girls. Uh, Brooke and Rhea. And Brooke kills Rhea. Like snaps her neck or something like that. Yeah. Snaps. Yeah. And and they they hide her behind the counter. So when he goes up to pay for like a drink or something like that, he sees the dead body, and now it's like, oh, now you're doomed. Yeah. And 
Him and his wife. Him and his wife are killed. Meanwhile, their kid is still stuck in the car. Because of child locks. <laughs> because of child <laughs> Even locks. Even though she's like a teenager. She's right, like, right, right. like 18. Yeah. And so when the cops show up. First, it's just Felix, the little person. Yes. And he comes in and the guy from the sandlot is trying to escape. And he basically tells him, there's vampires in here. You need to get the hell out of here. And Felix is caught, you know, firing at him. And Felix is like, stay and help me. And Sandlot Kid goes, screw you, Felix, and then runs away. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fun. Oh, Felix, come on, dude. You gotta believe me. Okay, these two chicks, they, they came into this door, they closed all the blinds, and they've been holding me hostage all day. And they're freaking crazy, man, okay? Look, no, shut the fuck up and listen to me. This one girl, she killed the other one right in front of me, okay? Right in front of me. You gotta call an ambulance. I'm starting to feel pain. Are they still there? What have I been saying? Yes, okay? Oh, and listen, the one girl, she can't go in the light and messes with her. Hang tight, someone's coming. No, no, I'm out of here. Fuck that, dude. I gotta run. Dan! Oh, Dan! Are you feeling? Dan! Oh, he gets away because he opens the door and she gets hit by the sunlight. Yeah, yeah, so she and that's where she gets go. kind of kind Burn. of scarred. Yeah. But anyway, that's after this family is dead. The cops show up and Felix dies. And the other two cops show up, Charles Napier and the woman cop. They both die. They get shot. And this girl is still stuck in the car. And it's at this point that God comes again, or this angel comes again, and resurrects Rhea again. And Rhea goes outside to Brooke. They have a little yelly argument. I think this, I wrote this line down. I'm not sure exactly when it happens. But this is when the line, we may live forever, but at the same time, we are dead. Life is a precious thing that you must respect. What life? We are dead. We may live forever, but at the same time, we are dead. We are dead. We are dead. Yeah, that's, that's the blonde, and that's her being angry about her plight. Right, yeah. No, it's it's garbage town. <laughs> and so all that happens is Rhea kind of force pushes her, and she falls on a signpost and gets impaled. That's the big climactic fight. That's it. And she's just dead. Now, the way this movie ends, Rhea lets this girl, whose parents are both dead, out of the car. They go to the diner, and Rhea explains to this girl all the stuff that happened and how now they are warriors for God. Oh, and the angel is their waitress. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Anyway... I wrote down, seriously, she's just taking this nobody, stranger, mortal as a sidekick? This kid? For no reason. She didn't interact in the story with anybody in any way, shape, or form. It's 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 this really lazy writing where it's just, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, this is the one living person. She takes her as her sidekick. But, like, she's there just to fulfill this purpose. She serves absolutely zero purpose in the rest of the movie. And it's pointless and dumb and Kelsey I fucking hate this movie I hate it lightning round what do you have to say at one point the cop tells the female cop to go and hide to watch over the kid that's stuck in the car yeah because that's what women are good at that's where women should be anyway uh-huh. and she goes you're a fucking asshole and he goes that's probably true <laughs> that was pretty great there's a girl in this vehicle sir well, then go watch the child in the car. That's where a woman belongs anyway. You're an asshole, sir. Probably so. Probably so. Then, 
when Danny Woodburn is in the 7-Eleven mm-hmm. with the blonde chick and she's like, oh, that has, that better be a silver bullet. What? Why? Why does that need to be a silver bullet? That is for werewolves. This happens constantly. Uh-huh. Constantly in vampire movies, they're like, oh, should it be a silver bullet? No, it shouldn't be a fucking silver bullet. Silver bullets are for werewolves. Why do they, why do they do that? Pisses me off every time. There are several times in this movie with, like, fingers in the mouth. Oh, because that's sexy, Kelsey. Well, in the beginning, it's done when the girl's about to get raped. And she's trying to appease Warren. Yeah. Uh But then later, it's done again with somebody, and it's meant to be sexy. And I'm like, that's a really fucked up message. Yeah. And then there's this whole, like, I will rid the world of these people. It's not, I will rid the world of this evil. I will rid the world of these people. Yeah. We're supposed to just understand that she means evil? Why doesn't she just say evil? I guess. Last thing, the blonde chick at one point says to her, you made me start over too many times. When, yeah. Pretty sure we she don't made get... you start over once. Right. Of, and, and, and that's the thing is she was killed by God in the first place. So dumb. Yeah. That's so all I've got. <laughs> about halfway through the movie, uh, no, maybe, maybe a little bit before that, around the time that they're turned into these vampire angels, I wrote, Another seasonal horror movie that has nothing to do with the holiday. It just happens to take place on New Year's Eve. It doesn't do anything with that premise. Two things. One, they're at the New Year's Eve party. It could be any party. doesn't matter. I guess. They, they don't even experience the countdown. True. Second thing, when they go into the gas station, they ask, how many customers do you normally get? And he says, well, it's New Year's Day, so most people are probably really hungover, so I don't think I'll be getting a lot today. So that is literally the only thing they do with it. It has nothing to do with the plot. It doesn't enter into anything. Like Terror Train, it's the whole reason why they're on the train in the first place. This doesn't even have that. Do you want your movie to show up on some listicles for free publicity? Just randomly put it during a holiday, and people will put it in their shitty listicles listing the... Top 147 movies to watch on New Year's. That is how I found this. I just was looking up New Year's Eve. See, do you see what I mean? You just have to set it on a holiday. Barely mention it at all. Never would have heard of it. Never would have watched it if it hadn't been on that list. Yep. True. Absolutely true. So, so bad. So, Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes rating is? Zero. There are no critical responses to Lifeblood. What do you think the audience score is? Zero. It is 10%. (laughs) But I think it'll be fun to read some of these reviews. Okay. Some of these audience reviews because they're pretty great. I would like to point out that I have not said zero about any of our movies. Right. Even on our lowest well, movie. Like I said. I don't remember what it was, but it's one like of Wolfman them. or something like I that. I said like 10 or 15%. Uh-huh, yeah. This is the first time that I'm just like, this deserves zero rating. This is a great one. From a super reviewer on Rotten Tomatoes. The premise is that vampires are God's lesbian angels of vengeance. (laughs) Literally. Try to wrap your mind around that one. Unfortunately, despite the straight face but wacko setup, it plays out like a standard predictable vampire B-movie in its last two thirds. That was from Greg S. on on Rotten Tomatoes. too nice. Pamela D. gives it what I think is the lowest rating you could possibly give it without just not rating it. Half star. Says, quite possibly the worst movie ever made. (laughs) Terrible on every count. Dreadful cliches and caricatures. Horrible, corny dialogue. Ridiculous script and plot. 
horrid acting. But the kicker is that this was not meant to be over the top. The filmmaker is serious. The movie plays like something written by a stoned 14-year-old boy hiding in the ladies' room at a Star Trek convention, <laughs> sitting in a stall with a typewriter on his lap and some really good Acapulco gold. Like that, oh my god, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Pamela D., super reviewer on Rotten Tomatoes. Some other neat little reviews. Has to be one of the stupidest movies ever made. Jennifer H., not even worth it. Disaster. Danae B. Brian K. says it should be illegal to make something this bad. <laughs> Just dreadful. The only point of mention is the corny, and I mean very corny, one-liners that prove to be hilarious. <laughs> the notion of two lesbian angels come vampires is truly forgettable. Really weird movie. Started off as one movie, ended as another. Basically, two lesbians come back as vampire angels, one good, one not so good. <laughs> That's all you need to say about this movie. So bad. All right. I can't believe how worked up I got. I've been worked up in past episodes. <laughs> this movie is god-awful. Yeah. I would also give it a zero. Mm -hmm. Garbage town. <laughs> so that was 2009's Lifeblood. Yep. Earlier, we talked about 1921's phantom carriage which was considerably better <laughs> kelsey what are we watching next week we're gonna do a double feature Ooh, yay okay of it yeah we're finally doing it people we're yeah. doing it because it is coming out on direct to video not direct to video it's coming out on DVD. demand and dvd blu-ray all that this month so Really, really excited for that. Again, despite the fact that I got the question wrong earlier in this episode, we love Stephen King somewhat ironically. I am going to do my absolute best, listeners, to not talk, uh, constantly bring up the book. But I do want to say I have read the book multiple times. I love it. I love it so much. I do not. I'll just say this overall before we even get there. I do not think that either did the book justice. Yeah. But I enjoy both of them for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's saying something because if you are adapting a book, Kelsey will hate you. <laughs> that's just the way it is. If you are not to the letter an adaptation of the book, you are garbage and should not be considered. <laughs> so it says something that Kelsey actually likes these movies to an extent. So, well, one is a made-for-TV miniseries from 1980, I think. No, 1991. Oh, 1990 or 91. Okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Way later than you would expect it to be. And the other is obviously the, the hit horror 2017. from 2017, which took the world kind of by storm, apparently. We saw it and we thought it was good. Yeah, it was good. And we'll get into exactly our thoughts, what I really liked about it. Kelsey's problems with it. <laughs> We'll talk about that all next week. Until then, in the meantime, you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Please subscribe, rate, and comment. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery, spelled the funny way. If you just look at your phones or your computers, you'll see how it's spelled. And one of these days, we're going to go to the Phantom Carriage, and I'm going to take pictures, and I'm going to post them on Twitter. So, Oh, yeah. We talked about this in the last episode. It's yeah. actually like we, a We wanted to go after we saw the movie, because if there are any if there's anything in there that reminds us of the film, we wanted to be aware. Yeah, of. and we'll talk about it here once we do that. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com, and we will likely read your comments on the show 
And uh, so please do uh, talk to us that way. But until then, we must say goodbye. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, God doesn't give a fig for you or your twaddle. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. And that is where the idea came from for... The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here comes so Johnny. Here's Johnny. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to leave that in. The call me mellow yellow. What? The call me mellow yellow, quite rightly. The call me mellow yellow. Wow, those lyrics are garbage. <laughs>